This is the Education Exchange. I am Paul Peterson, Senior Editor of Education Next. Scholars are beginning to ponder an anomalous set of findings that are beginning to emerge in quite a number of different studies. On the one side, you have students from low-income families attending charter schools or receiving vouchers to go to private schools that aren't doing any better on standardized tests than the peers in district-operated schools with which they're being compared. On the other side, uh, the students in these choice schools, we may call them uh, the choice schools, they seem more likely to graduate from high school and go on to college and even get further in college. At a conference here at the Harvard Program on Education Policy and Governance a couple of months ago, Martin West, a professor at the Harvard Graduate School of Education and, of course, editor-in-chief of Education Next, addressed this topic in a thoughtful essay that provoked an energetic conversation among all those attending the conference. Uh, Marty's agreed to discuss this paper with me on the Education Exchange today. Uh, Marty, welcome to the Education Exchange. Great to have the opportunity to talk, Paul. Well, first I want to ask you, do you agree with my characterization about the research on school vouchers and charter schools? Is there an, an anomalous set of findings emerging? I think there are uh, anomalous findings in that literature, and actually I would extend the claim and say that there are anomalous findings scattered throughout the research on how educational interventions affect long-term outcomes. Uh, we have a number of examples in the field of early childhood education, for example, of interventions that show no effects on measures of cognitive achievement or effects that fade out very quickly, and yet these same interventions in some cases have been shown to have quite substantial effects on students' educational attainment, that is how much schooling they complete, and outcomes like their earnings uh, later in life. So uh, there's certainly an anomalous set of findings, but I wouldn't limit it to the literature on school choice. Now, I would say that we're starting to see this pattern show up repeatedly in the literature on school choice and on private school choice in particular. So a fairly good-sized body of evidence has accumulated over the years on the effects of attending a private school with a government subsidy like a voucher. Uh, and as I read that literature, it's not clear that there is strong evidence that that intervention has clear effects on students' achievement as measured by test scores. In some cases, you might see some modest benefits for some participants, but uh, it's, it's not a particularly encouraging set of findings if that's what you're most interested in. But if we change the outcome and look at the smaller number of studies that have looked at long-term outcomes, and in particular, how much schooling children complete, you have a much more encouraging set of results with virtually all of the studies that have been able to examine that question. I think it would be fair to say all of them finding positive effects on either high school graduation, college enrollment, or college completion. In the case of charter schools, I think the question is still pretty new. We have a much larger body of evidence on charter schools, but almost all of it has been focused on test score outcomes. And we're only just now starting to see uh, studies that look at educational attainment or labor market success. And so there is uh, one example I'm aware of in particular that um, shows uh, charter schools in Florida and Chicago having strong positive effects on educational attainment, and in the case of Florida, on students' earnings as adults, despite the fact that those same charter schools 
did not look very good by test score metrics. Um, but I don't know that we know enough yet to sort of extend that pattern into the charter sector. So given the fact that we're seeing this in preschool, in private school education, and maybe in charter schools, what could account for this? What's your, I know anything you say on this is going to be speculative, but why not speculate? <laughs> what, what do you think could account for this, this anomaly? Well, if it's not impacts on cognitive achievement, then surely the answer must be its impacts on non-cognitive skills, which is the term that's emerged to try and make sense of this okay. pattern okay. of findings. So, so uh, how can you have a term that is a negative, <laughs> a non-cognitive? You're not the only person to have expressed frustration with this term. And of course, the uh, term is very clearly a misnomer. Non-cognitive skills are not non-cognitive in the sense that they don't rely on the brain processing information and uh, using it. Um, they're non-cognitive in the sense that they are not directly measured by tests of cognitive ability or achievement. And that's actually the origins of, term, of the term in the scholarly literature. Uh, and so what do we mean by this term? I think it's useful to distinguish within the broad domain of non-cognitive skills, that which we're not capturing by test scores, at least directly, between intrapersonal skills and interpersonal skills. So let me, let me get that. Intrapersonal, that is stuff that has to do with just me. Yeah, right? it's it's really about your ability to regulate your emotions and ultimately your behavior in service of goals that you value. And so that's what I think of as the essence of intrapersonal skills. And then being in, able to control myself to do the things that I want to get done. That's right. And then interpersonal skills, you know, uh, really involve expre expressing ideas and interpreting messages from others. And of course, there are Many. So that means sort of how long, how well you get along with other people? I think that's right. In fact, uh, there, there are many fine-grained distinctions that you can make within these broad categories, and some of those distinctions are maybe quite important, especially if you begin to think about how would we go about trying to develop the student skills. But empirically, within these broad domains of intra and interpersonal skills, the uh, measures that we have uh, tend to be highly correlated with one another. So, so if you're good at controlling your own emotions, you're probably also good at getting along with other people. Well, I th they, those two attributes are, are positively correlated, but that's a correlation across the inter and intrapersonal domain. What I was referring to is that within one of those domains, the various constructs that have been proposed by people working in different scholarly traditions, whether it be personality psychologists or developmental psychologists or uh, education, uh, education researchers, they just tend to be uh, very highly related to one another. Okay, so I got to mention grit here because yeah. everybody's heard of grit. And so grit is one of these intrapersonal characteristics. That's right. That's right. And uh, grit is this concept uh, construct, I would say, developed by Angela Duckworth, a psychologist at the University of Pennsylvania. And she defines it as uh, passion for and perseverance towards long-term goals. Uh, and uh, you, that sort of passion for uh, component of that definition is what I think distinguishes grit from some other measures in that domain, like self-control or self-management ability or what personality psychologists would call conscientiousness. But as a empirical matter- Res My mother would call it responsible. Uh, your mother's welcome to call it whatever she likes. <laughs> I, uh, my perspective on this 
area is really that there is more underlying agreement among researchers and educators about what matters than the semantic debates that occur would suggest. Oh, all that's great, but maybe this result that you're talking about here is just because standardized tests don't measure anything mm -hmm. reliably. And uh, we've spent too much time and too much energy on standardized tests. I know that there's uh, uh, a number of people working out there in the field who are highly skeptical of standardized tests. Are you, are you joining your voice to that crowd? Well, I certainly don't think we care about test scores in and of themselves. Uh, the question is, are they useful for evaluating the performance of schools, their effectiveness, and uh, equipping students to succeed in, in later in life? And I'm of the view that one can recognize the importance of non-cognitive skills, what test scores aren't capturing, while still uh, 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 arguing that test scores should actually play quite a central role still in educational performance management and accountability systems. So we know that math and reading test scores are highly predictive of students' success in college and you know, in the labor market. And increasingly, we have some evidence that uh, improvements in test scores that occur as a result of, for example, having a particularly effective teacher or attending a school that's been subjected to pressure to improve their performance as measured by test scores also carry over and have benefits later in life. Uh, so uh, I don't think it, um, we don't know everything that we need to about those questions, but especially given how closely aligned math and reading achievement are to I think what I think of as at least one of the core functions of schools in equipping students with foundational academic knowledge, I think it makes very good sense for them to remain central in how we think about measuring and trying to improve educational performance. The question is, how can we do that in a way that uh, doesn't distract schools too much from attending to other important aspects of students' So you're sort of taking a both and rather than an either or position on this. Yeah. You're saying cognitive skills are really important, but so are non-cognitive skills. And it may be that some of these private schools or some of these early interventions are measuring improvements in the non-cognitive domain. They're having very positive effects, even though they can't be shown to have had a big effect on short-term cognitive ability. That's right, and one of the things I tried to do in this paper was try and think a bit about why we might expect choice interventions to uh, have a distinctive impact on non-cognitive skills. Um, and you know, one of the concerns with test-based accountability as a reform strategy has been exactly that it may distract educators from efforts to develop students in a more well-rounded way. And uh, I tried to think about how uh, choice as an alternative or as a complement to test-based accountability strategies might uh, change that dynamic. And I think really the answer is that it could go uh, uh, either way, that programs offering families greater choice over the school their child attends could alleviate this pressure of focusing too much on test scores, or it could exacerbate it. So in terms of alleviating it, to the extent that parents are able to uh, distinguish between schools that do a better job in ways that we can't 
uh, see showing up in test scores than schools that are incentivized to attend to the demands of families you know, may, may do a better job well, in those areas. Well, one of the studies that Education Next has just completed, and you were part of the research team, so I, uh, it's quite appropriate to bring this, <laughs> this study up, shows that uh, across the country, parents are really much happier with their private schools mm -hmm. if they send their child there than they are if they send them to charter schools and much happier with charter schools than with district-operated neighborhood schools. Uh, so parents, even though you don't see such dramatic differences between student performance in charter schools and district schools, you see huge differences in parental satisfaction between, and many studies, this is not just our research, but others as well have found much the same thing. So I think your intuition there that parents are probably paying a lot of attention to this non-cognitive domain, and that might be a possible explanation for your findings. So yeah, that, that, that makes true? good yeah. that makes good sense to me, and it, it, it does ring true. Um, and it certainly could be the case that the higher levels of satisfaction we see in schools of choice, in part, reflects the success of those schools in domains that are not directly captured by test scores. I do also think, though, that there uh, is a way in which choice-based policies uh, could exacerbate the excessive focus on test scores in and of themselves at the expense of other important skills. And that's because, you know, uh, especially when we think about the charter sector, part of the bargain there was not just being accountable to parents, but also taking on greater accountability to an authorizer and even the threat of being shuttered if you're not demonstrating progress by those measures that we have available. And so I do think it's possible that you could uh, imagine a uh, choice intervention in that case, not sort of alleviating or encouraging schools to take a broader approach, but reinforcing any distortions that occur as a result well, do of we paying attention to Well, do we have any research only. that's showing short-term positive effects of charter schools on test scores, but negative effects in the long yeah, as I mentioned, the literature on long-term effects of charter schools is only just now starting to emerge. I do think there are uh, a small number of studies that, when they look at attainment outcomes, are seeing effects that are smaller than would have been anticipated based on the uh, very strong impacts that some urban charter schools have had on student test scores. Um, and uh, one example would be work by Roland Fryer on the Harlem Children's Zone, Promise Academies, um, even the work here on the charter sector in Boston shows much clearer effects on test scores than it does on college enrollment patterns, where really the largest effect seems to be shifting kids from a two-year school to a four-year school rather than uh, rather than causing them to, though be more one must to say there's a lot of a huge advantage to going to a four-year school I, over I a two-year school. I couldn't agree more, and I wouldn't. That's why I don't want to make too much of this emerging pattern uh, of findings. Well, so in some, where do you think the research is going in the future? I mean, are we going to get better measures of non-cognitive skills? Are we going to be able to make better differentiation? Are we going to be able to look at this in the short term? Because we're now talking about long-term effects, but 
can we measure the effects of school on these non-cognitive skills in the short run so we can get quick feedback on how good a school is in this domain? I, I've been trying to uh, do some work on exactly that question because I th agree with the implication there that it would be really useful to be able to try and provide feedback uh, to educators on how they're doing on this dimension in the short run rather than waiting uh, a decade years. or more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, non-cognitive skills are most commonly measured through self-report surveys. Uh, self-report surveys have any number of limitations. Uh, students may be inclined to make themselves look good. They may vary in the standards that they use to evaluate their competency in a domain. Uh, and so there certainly are important limitations. The question is how much signal is there within the noise that we know exists and can it be used uh, in ways that would be helpful to educators and also helpful to researchers trying to understand the effects of programs. So um, I don't think we are uh, exactly there yet, but uh, there are a lot of people trying to, uh, trying to answer that question. And then also there are attempts underway to try to uh, uh, figure out how we might be able to use behavioral proxies for, uh, you know, rather uh, uh, behavioral proxies to tell us something about the uh, way in which student skills are developing without asking them uh, about those skills specifically. So, well, how about absenteeism? Absenteeism would be one. Tardiness. Uh, uh, another might be uh, something like grade point average. Uh, in fact. I'm intrigued by the possibility of using uh, grades after controlling for any differences in students' achievement coming into a year as a measure of their success uh, over and beyond what you would have expected based on their cognitive ability alone. Uh, now, grades, just like self-report surveys, as soon as you started attaching incentives to them, uh, you would probably corrupt them very quickly. Um, but I think there's uh, opportunities in that area as well. And of course, others are trying to develop the analog of a, a test. Uh, so performance tasks where students would be perhaps sat down to uh, perform some difficult math practice while also being given the temptation of checking their email or Facebook feed uh, and seeing just how much time they spend on the difficult task. Uh, I haven't been too encouraged by what I've seen in that area, uh, at least in the near term. But uh, in the long run, I certainly think people will uh, be trying to solve that problem. Well, thank you very much, Marty, for joining me on the Education Exchange. This has been a fascinating discussion of the possibility that the choice sector can have positive effects on the long-term uh, prospects of students, even if you don't see short-term effects on test score performance and many related issues. So I've been speaking today with Martin West, professor at the Graduate School of Education at Harvard University and the editor-in-chief of Education Next. Thank you, Marty, for joining me on the Education Exchange. My pleasure. This is Paul Peterson. I'm the senior editor at Education Next. Education Exchange is released at noon every Monday.